Well, good evening. It's good to be here with you. If you've got your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we will be reading verses 9 through 12. There's a fair amount of connection between, obviously, what was preached this morning and what was preached, or what will be preached this evening, what we'll be talking about. And um, so in, a, in a manner of introduction, this morning as Josh um, preached to us and talked to us about living to please God, he talked to us about the fact that um, that has always been the goal for people, and that living to please God in, involves what to do and what not to do, and that living to please God is based on God's standard and message, not upon our own. And tonight, really, as we continue uh, in the discussion uh, about living to please God, we're going to be learning to love our brothers and sisters. And as we look at the scripture this evening, uh, I I want us to see how learning to love our brothers and sisters will lead us to that second thing that Josh mentioned, which is work or working. So please read with me uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 9 through 12. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may have behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. So as we look at this this evening, I want us to to see that we are going to learn to love our brothers and sisters because, one, the Holy Spirit teaches us to love our brothers and sisters. Two, that this love leads us then to diligently serve and work. And thirdly, that the way that we love and work will reflect Christ to the world. So let's first look at the Holy Spirit teaching us to love our brothers and sisters. Uh, as I read this and, and, as, and as I was studying and, and I began to look at what does it mean for believers who had essentially become believers over the course of a three-week period of Paul ministering and preaching and teaching to them, they are now being taught by God to love one another. That is a very interesting phrase, uh, and, and, and as I looked at that, as I studied that, I, I, I always think of where have we seen this else in Scripture? Where, have, where has this come up? Where have, where have we heard this before? And this particular phrase isn't super common uh, in, in Scripture, and if we, if we look back, we, we actually will find it in a couple, couple other places, though. We'll actually see that Jesus himself uses it in John uh, chapter 6 and verses 44 and 45. And Jesus in those verses says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Now, that reference that Jesus is, is speaking about from the prophets is from Isaiah. And I think that that is a wonderful thought for us today to think about the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. 
As believers in Jesus Christ, when we placed our faith and trust in uh, Jesus and his death and resurrection, when we believed upon him and were saved, we received the Holy Spirit. And as we receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of God in us, it begins to teach us. And specifically tonight, as we're talking about what it means to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is teaching these new believers in Thessalonica how to love one another. It's not something necessarily that someone had to be there to instruct them along. It was something that they were taught out of an overflowing of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And that's amazing to me because I, I think sometimes when, when, we, when we talk about um, you know, going and doing mission trips or we're, we're going to, to work with a church or a people group, we've had, I've had opportunities to go uh, to work with uh, reaching and teaching uh, in Mexico. And as we go and as we teach the pastors, I think a lot of times in my mind, I, I sort of think that, well, we're going back and the work is kind of, you know, left for the next group to come and teach the next section, right? And, and, and I think sometimes maybe in my own mind, I'm not realizing that the Holy Spirit is still working. The Holy Spirit is still teaching. The Holy Spirit is still guiding them as they study, even when we are not with them. And I don't want that to seem arrogant on my part because it's not. It's just how amazing is it that God is still working and teaching and illuminating and helping them understand things that they're reading and things that they were taught even after we've come back. And it's a beautiful thing for us to understand that as new believers, if they're reading God's word, then they're going to begin to understand and they're going to be taught by the Holy Spirit what the things that they're reading mean. Now, specifically, we believe that it's important for them to be taught and to be discipled by those who are more mature. Someone like a pastor, someone else who is in the faith and has been a believer for a while who understands the scriptures, who can explain it to them. But certainly we believe that as they read God's word that the Holy Spirit helps them to understand. And out of that understanding of a need to love and to minister to others, they're being taught by God. Peter, in his writing in 1 Peter 1, talks about this sincere showing of brotherly love as well. And he says, Show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly. And we're to believe that the church in Thessalonica understood this. Now, the connection from from what Josh preached this morning uh, to the section that we're talking about on love and working, I believe, is connected by the Holy Spirit. If you look in verse 8, it specifically says, consequently, anyone who rejects this doesn't reject man, but God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. He's mentioning the Holy Spirit right before he begins to talk about brotherly love. And so, about brotherly love, they don't need to hear. And why don't they need to hear? Why don't they need him to write more about that? Because they're already doing it. I do find it interesting, and I think Jake mentioned this a, a couple weeks ago when he was preaching that, we see several times in, in, in the scripture that um, as, as Paul is writing them, he will say, um, we want you to, about brother love, we encourage you to do this even more, right? Or do this even more as he's talking about how they're living to please God. Do this more. And then Paul also says several times, I don't need to write about this, because you're already doing it, 
right? And those are encouragements for the church. As we see the Spirit working in the church, as we see the Spirit teaching them to love the brothers and sisters, Paul is giving them an admonition, an encouragement, and he's not specifically addressing some of those things because they're already doing them. And he saves his pen and ink, uh, if that's what he was writing with. I certainly know it wasn't a a printer and paper, but uh, he saves his time to address the things that they do have problems with. So the Holy Spirit is teaching them to love brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is doing that not just for them, but he's doing that for us today. As believers, we have a special connection with other Christians. I talked about this with my Sunday school class this morning that uh, I have a special relationship with my brother. My brother's name is Nathan. He and I have a special relationship because he is my blood brother. He is blood of my blood, flesh of my flesh. He is my brother, and I love him. And if he's watching this right now, I love him. I love him. He's not as good looking as me, but I love him. Right? Now, you and I, as believers, we have a special connection too. As I look out, I see many of you I know who are saved and for sure professing Christ, living out the Christian faith, and we are also blood relatives. We are relatives through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters just the same as I would count my brother the same. We have a connection. And that connection has me feeling about you in the same way that I feel about my natural brother. I love you guys. I hope that you feel the same way about me. I care about you. When you hurt, I hurt. We share prayer requests in here, and we talk about prayer requests. We have a time of prayer on Wednesday night. Why do we do that? Because we genuinely care and we love for each other. And that's not something that I do just because Jake Beatty's so awesome. I do that because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, prompts me and teaches me how to love And as I learn to love and as I am more willing to be open to love, then I'm going to be acting more and more like Christ. And that love is going to flow out in the way that I live my life, the way that I serve others, and the way that I work. So the Holy Spirit teaches us to love our brothers and sisters. And second, this love that we have is going to lead us to diligently serve and work. Now, in, in looking at verse 10, it says, In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. So yes, they are loving. Yes, they are serving. Yes, they are ministering to people as they have needs. Paul's encouraging them. and He's telling them, do this more. Do this more. If you've ever coached a sports team, if you've ever been around individual player instruction, there are some things that we see that Paul is doing that we might also see with successful player coaches or, um, or individual skill instructors. Um, it, it's an approach that, that I think that is very, very easy to follow. So follow with me on this. We see Paul showing us this example. Number one, he went physically to Thessalonica, and he instructed them in the truth. He modeled his teaching when he was with them. He commended their positive behavior, and then he encouraged them to do it more and more. So how does that connect to the sports analogy that I just gave? Well, let me, let me connect those two things. So when I take my sons to receive individual instruction 
or when I see them working with a coach who is, who is coaching them well in a sport, <clears throat> me. Um, we, uh, that was a joke, but, uh, but I have had the privilege of coaching my sons, and I, and I think I try to do these things too. I'm not the best, obviously, or I would have a full-time job doing it. But the coach will deliver instruction. The coach will model the desired behavior. The coach will commend the athlete or the team when the correct behavior is shown, and then he will encourage the athlete or team to do that correct behavior more and more or with more consistency. And we see that Paul is doing that with the church. Now, it's not just Paul's instruction and his will and his personality that is making these things happen. We know that it is the Holy Spirit that is working these things in the church, that Paul is merely fanning the flame on the Holy Spirit's work in the church. He's encouraging it. He is careful. He is loving. He is gentle. But as they begin to be mature, he just wants to cheer them on. And he cares, and he's concerned about how they're doing. Are they living the way that they should be living? Have they fallen into temptation? Have they fallen under condemnation? That's why he sends Timothy. And so we see Paul doing this. As he teaches them, he's not just saying, hey, you guys, this is how you do it. Buy my book. You know, I'm out of here. He's with them. He's working. He's modeling and showing them. And then as they have the positive behaviors, he doesn't need to say any more about it. I don't need to say anything more about that. You guys are doing a great job. Keep doing it. However, sexual immorality, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some things that you have going on that are problems. Let's spend our time talking about that and teaching. And here soon we'll be talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And that return of Jesus Christ has led some in the church, believe it or not, to be lazy, which is why we'll be talking about work here in a minute. The last thing I want to say on, on this particular topic is, is just that when we disciple people in Christian life, you and I can cheat and we can follow the example that Paul has given us. And it's not really cheating. We're plagiarizing from the best, right? We're, we're plagiarizing from God, showing Paul how to do this. We're seeing Paul doing this and we have the benefit of seeing that. So when we disciple people in the Christian life or when we disciple people in the gospel ministry, we should take the same approach, as we bring some along, someone alongside and we're instructing them in the truth, we also ought to model for them the teachings that we're teaching. We should walk as we are talking. We should do the things that we're telling them are the right things to do are the same things that they should be seeing us do in our lives. When we see them correcting a sinful behavior and beginning to be more Christ-like, we should be quick to commend their positive behavior. We shouldn't dwell on it and continue to gush over it because we don't really need to say any more about it, but you're doing the right thing. Now let's talk about this other thing that you need to, need to work on. And then we need to encourage them as they have the positive behavior to do it more and more. Be more consistent. Be more Christ-like. Cheer them on as they walk with the Lord. Every single Christian can do that in the lives of other people as they're more mature, as we're ministering to people who are non-believers, whether that be family, friends, coworkers, whatever, as we talk to them and as we serve and love and minister to them, if they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we want to continue to be beside them, to continue to cheer them on, to continue to encourage them. When my sons were running cross-country uh, last season, my wife and I would go to these cross-country meets, and you're at the start, Right? You're with them right there at the starting line. And as they run by, you're cheering them on at the starting line. You're clapping your hands. Go, go, you know, stay on pace, whatever you're, 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 you're trying to encourage them with. And what do you do? You run ahead to the next spot 
where you can see them. And as they come up over the rise, you're there cheering them on, encouraging them, trying to help them breathe, breathe through it. You just got done with the hill, breathe, keep going, keep going, you're fine. Stretch out your stride, you know, and they go by. What do you do? You run ahead to the next spot and you're cheering them on again. We do the same thing in other sports too, right? We cheer our kids on. Josh talked about how much fun it is to watch your kids compete regardless of how they're doing. And that's what we ought to be doing with those who we're discipling in our, in our lives. We're to be cheering them on, encouraging them, being a positive influence, being a positive role model. Follow us while we follow Christ. Your leaders here at church are trying to do that too. We are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I hope that you guys feel from your pastors that we love you first of all, that we want to teach you the truth, that we want to see you following Christ. We want to see you becoming more and more like Christ each and every day. And I hope that you feel our love and encouragement as you're doing so. And we want you to do it even more. Even more. So we've talked about the Holy Spirit teaching us to love our brothers and sisters. We've seen that love leads us to diligently serve others and to work with others. And now let's talk a little bit about how that work manifests itself, not just inside the church, because a lot of what we've talked about is, is really how we encourage each other here, but let's talk about how it encourages the world around us. As we're serving, as we're working, how does that affect the world for Christ? So in verse 11 uh, of, our, of our reading, 11 and 12, it says, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So let's start with a quiet life. Paul in his writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4 says, first of all then, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When we talk about a quiet life, I don't think that this means for us to remain silent, especially on important issues. I think sometimes when Christians think about living a quiet life, that means that we're just going to shut up and uh, just be quiet and keep our head down, you know, and just kind of wait this thing out. And I don't think that that's what Paul's talking about. It's hard for us to be salt and light if we go hide under a bushel in the cupboard. We have to be out. We need to be having conversations about social issues. We need to be having conversations about sin issues. We need to be actively seeking to uh, witness to the lost people that are in our lives. We, we cannot remain silent. And le leading a quiet life doesn't mean that we remain silent and not speak out about atrocities that are going on in our world around us. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. We must speak truth in love from God's word. We must care about the people that are involved in the various difficult situations in life, but we, we have to speak the truth. So being quiet doesn't mean that you simply remain silent, nor does it mean that you isolate yourself from the world. 
Many times I think Christians are content to go and hide, right? Circle up the wagons with our friends who are Christians. We go to church. We go to other people's houses who are Christians. We try to interact with the world as little as we can. No, that is not what we're supposed to do either. That doesn't mean that we go participate in things that the world does and get down in with people who are sinful and make them feel like their sin's okay because we're there kind of condoning it. But at the same time, we still have to interact with the world. I work in a secular secular workplace as my my full-time job. We have lots of training that we're required to do that I vehemently disagree with from a worldview perspective because my worldview is based upon this. And theirs is based upon a beach, shifting sand. How do I know what's the right thing to do today or tomorrow? I don't know. You have to check the new training when it comes out. And I can't live like that. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to quit having friends and quit doing things with people who are, who are not believers. I, I need to be around them. I need to be able to have the opportunity to see their perspective. I need to be able to speak truth as I have the opportunity to. I need to be able to love them. I need to be able to serve them. And I can't do that if I'm just circled up with the, with, with the, the elect you know, and, and hide away. And we can't do that. That's not what Paul's talking about either. I believe when he says lead a quiet life, that means that we live a life that is grounded in and resting on the comfort and promises of God. That means that a child of God must know who we are and we must know whose we are. Our, our lives should be lives that are ones of dignity and Christ-likeness. We're comfortable knowing that we're not from this world. We're comfortable knowing that we're different and that we feel different and that we think differently than the world because we're trying to think and live and act in manners that are consistent with what Jesus Christ has taught us we should do in his word. We have to be comfortable in that. We have to know that persecution will come. And when persecution comes, we cannot be moved because we have to be anchored to the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. To me, living a quiet life is a quiet life meaning more of one of confidence in Jesus Christ, not confidence in me, confidence in Christ, because I know whose I am. I know that I belong to Christ. Second thing he mentions is minding your own business. In my house, I love telling my kids stories about my childhood. I do. I love it. If you don't share stories about your childhood with your kids, You've lost some time to get started, okay? Because they love it too. Even my kids now, you know, if I, I say, have I ever told you guys about the time? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, but tell us again, okay? A lot of the stories, this, this, this little phrase, eat your cereal, became something that we use basically to tell my kids to mind your own business, okay? When I was growing up in my mom and dad's house, you can ask my dad about this, I was a voracious cereal eater, I was a cereal killer. I would destroy the box of cereal when it came in the house. I would just eat it, go through half a gallon of milk. And I can hear him saying this today as he opens the pantry. Didn't we just buy, you know, whatever the box of cereal was? And he's shaking it and has like two pieces and dust in the bottom, right? But so many times when we would have things happen at the house and Nathan, my brother, would get in trouble and he would be getting a lecture or something would happen and Nathan would get in trouble and they were like, well, what were you doing? I was like, well, I was sitting at the kitchen table eating cereal. 
Well, what did you say? And I didn't say nothing. I ate my cereal and I let all that stuff play out over there. So my, my kids started using, well, we just tell them, just eat your cereal, okay? Don't butt in, mind your own business, okay? And when we think about minding our own business, it's not necessarily that we're not supposed to intervene if our brothers get in trouble. It, it says that we're not to be busy bodies, but we're to be busy. That's more of the, of the thought. How much better off would we be if we were concerned with keeping up on our reading in Corinthians than keeping up on our watching of the Kardashians, right? How much better off would we be if we spent a little less time worrying about all this other stuff that's going on and focus on the main things in life, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our family, our relationship with our friends, and not just our friends on Facebook that we like stuff every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with being interested in the lives of others, but there must be a balance. Think about your kids and how much time they spend with their friends online and how little time they spend with them face-to-face. As we think about minding our own business, there are certain things that we know that we have no business knowing. And if we have no business knowing, we have no business sharing. And if we have no business knowing and no business sharing, then we honestly ought to just pray about those things and try to not put ourselves in a situation where we're hearing that information. Moving on now to working with your hands. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, uh, Paul says, For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. So while Paul was there, while he was teaching and preaching, he was also working. Paul was a tent maker by trade, and we see when we read in Acts that uh, he did that as he, as he often traveled for missionary journeys, that he would, he would link up with people like Priscilla and Aquila, and he would make tents to fund his trips. And so while he was there preaching, he was also working, showing them that he was not seeking to be a burden to them, but to be a blessing to them as he provided for his daily needs while he was there teaching. There's a couple other places where the, in Scripture where this, this idea is, is, is shown to us. If we look in Proverbs 14, 23, it says that there is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. And Psalm 128, 2 says, You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. The last one I want to mention is from Acts 20 and verse 35, which says, In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we love our brothers and sisters, and not just our brothers and sisters in the church, if we love our fellow man, as Christians, we ought to be people who are willing to serve willing to work, willing to put in time and effort using the gifts and talents that God has given us to serve and work, not just in our job, but to serve and work for others. We had an opportunity uh, yesterday to serve and work for others as a missions outing. We ought to be doing those things. We ought to be doing those things not just when they're organized, but as we have opportunity to do that for our neighbors, as we have opportunity to do that for others in the church who we know who are older maybe, who, who can't do certain things or sh- shouldn't be up on a roof, 
Those, those are things that we ought to be doing, and those are not things that we're doing for any sort of thank you or any sort of envelope slipped to you with a little cash in it that says thank you. We ought to be doing it because it's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit working in our heart and our life. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. The other thing about working that we see is that when outsiders or those who are not believers or those who are not of the church, people that we run into just in the, in, the, in the daily life, when they see us behaving properly, when they see us serving, when they see us working diligently at work, it lets them see that there's something different about us. And that something different about us is not just work ethic that our parents instilled in us. It's, it's not just uh, the fact that we labor intensely because we want to be seen as a good worker or be up for some sort of promotion. We're working because we're working for the Lord. And as we work for the Lord and people recognize how it is that we work and we serve, my hope and pray is always that there is a question of why do you do this? Why are you doing this? And then that opens the door for us to say, because this is what I believe God would have me to do. I work the way that I do because I'm, you might be the person that signs my check, but I'm working for the Lord, and I'm doing my very best for him every single day, regardless of what I'm doing, regardless if I've got my hands to a keyboard or I've got my hands on a shovel, I'm working for the Lord. And I'm doing it so that I can show the world that God has blessed me, God has given me gifts and abilities that I'm using to serve him regardless of what it is and I'm going to do my absolute best for him. As we love others and as we work, that example that we set will be an example for those in the church and for those outside the church. I'm sure we can think of times when we've seen uh, epic fails at times on Christians' behalfs when they're working or, or when they're asked to do something. Um, and we can think about how those, those moments have an effect on how we think about them. Um, I, I know that this might seem like a, a trivial example, but we've had at times people uh, in, in work situations that get heated and get angry and raise their voice and yell. And how would we have a conversation about that person's belief in Christ following that, if they were to say, hey, you know, we're having a revival at my church, if you guys want to, you know, come next week. Wait a minute, you were just cursing me uh, about something. How do those two things go together? What kind of witness was that? And our witness should not be one to cause people to want to stay away. Our, our, our witness should be one that draws people to Christ. So we have to be mindful of how we're representing Christ to the world. We have to love, and we have to work and those, those are two things that show the world how Christians are to act. The last one is not being dependent upon anyone. Paul, in his working, as I mentioned from 1 Thessalonians 2.9, and we read from Acts as well, that he labored in order to not be a burden on them as he preached the gospel to them. I think today... This message for, for, for believers as we think about where we're at as a country and the things that our country has been going through, there's times where policies and things like that that the government does, which are not really things that we're dealing with here, but it sometimes makes it easy for people to think, hey, I, mean, I could just stay home. Here recently, it's actually been almost 
as lucrative to not work as it is to work. And I can't tell you how many times we've been to restaurants or other places like that recently where I would be talking with the manager just kind of asking, just because I was curious, how things were going. And they say, we can't find people to work. We should not, as Christians, folks, we, we, we cannot seek to be dependent upon others to support us if we have the capability and ability to work. Financial stability, not just for yourself, but your family, is something that we must do our, our level best to honor God in the way that we work, and we must seek not to be beholden to others or dependent on others if it's within our power to work and serve. And Paul is teaching them that, and he showed them that because he could have just as easily shown up in Thessalonica and said, hey, I'm here for three weeks. I'm going to need somebody to put me up and to pay for my meals and to do all these things for me. But he didn't do that. He showed them by example in his work. So in our call to worship, as I begin to close uh, this evening, we read from 1 John 4, 13 through 21. And it says, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, that he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior, and that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And so the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So we end this evening with this command, that we are to love our brothers and sister. And we will do so as the Holy Spirit teaches us. And as we love our brothers and sisters, we live that out. That love will drive us to serve. It will drive us to work to help others. It will drive us to serve and work for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And while we may think it's impossible for us, which it very well might be, it is not with God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be enabled to love our brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit will teach us and will enable us to work in a way that pleases God. Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to love each other. We pray that you would help us to work and serve, knowing, Lord, that we're working for you. Bless us as we go our separate ways. We love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.